0: Welcome to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight of the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast that reflects on an excerpt from the gospel proclaimed on the seventh Sunday of Easter. From St. John's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 22 to 23. And I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me. The Gospel of the Lord We turn this week to St. Gregory of Nyssa for insight on these verses from St. John's Gospel. St. Gregory of Nyssa was born in 335 in modern-day Turkey and grew up in a very devout Christian family, although he did not necessarily share the same zeal for the faith that his parents lived, as well as his older sister, Macrina. In time, however, Gregory's Christian fervor grew, as his older brother, St. Basil the Great, Convinced him to accept ordination as a bishop. Basil appointed him to the nearby ecclesiastical see of Nyssa. St. Basil, along with his younger brother, St. Gregory, and a dear friend, St. Gregory of Nanzianzus, in time became known as the Cappadocian Fathers. Not only were the trio able to defend the true divinity and true humanity of Jesus throughout the 4th century, the two Gregories ended up becoming very influential at the Ecumenical Council of Constantinople in 381. When Basil died at the untimely age of 49, younger brother Gregory ended up providing theological depth to much of Basil's initiatives. While early in his Episcopal career many thought he was simply completing or building on Basil's thought, Gregory soon proved to be a gifted, speculative theological thinker who simultaneously sought to make connections with living a spiritual life that disposed one to the transformation by the Holy Spirit. Like his brother Basil, he penned a rather large work against the teachings of Eunomius, as well as numerous works on the spiritual life an Exegesis of Sacred Scripture. Among some of his more famous works are On the Making of Man, a work essentially of profound theological anthropology. St. Gregory of Nyssa also penned the Great Catechetical Oration, which was among the first catechisms ever written and used in the Eastern Church well into the 15th century. He also penned the life of Moses, homilies on the Song of Songs, homilies on the Beatitudes, and orations on the Lord's Prayer, to name only a few, all of which offered deep insight into living the virtuous life, as the spiritual life was termed in the 4th century. Indebted to Origen of Alexandria for his pioneering work on biblical interpretation, Gregory wove together both the literal and the spiritual senses of Scripture to express a pastoral and theological approach to life known as Apextasis, that is, a continuous being drawn by the Holy Spirit to live the life of Jesus Christ, culminating in eternal life of oneness with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This week's Insight on Sacred Scripture is taken from St. Gregory's work known as the Homilies on the Song of Songs, and this excerpt is from Book 15 of that work. Nevertheless, should love cast out fear completely, as it is written, and should fear transformed, become love. At that point which is saved is discovered to be a unity since on the basis of a perfection like that of the dove all are united to one another in being joined to the life of the one good. It is in any case something of this sort that we understand by the next statement, quote, One is my dove, my perfect one. One is she, for her mother, the chosen of the one who bore her, unquote. The meaning of this is made much clearer by what the Lord says in the Gospels when by his blessing he conferred all power upon his disciples and also by his address to the Father endowed the saints with the other good things, he also added to all these the chiefest good of all, that in their judgment regarding the beautiful they should never be split up by any difference in the choices they make. Instead, they would all become one by growing together with the one and only good, so that, as the Apostle says, having been bound together in, quote, the bond of peace, unquote, they might become one body and one spirit, through the one hope into which they have been called. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. But it would be better to set out the divine statements of the Gospels themselves word for word. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us now that which holds this unity together is glory and no one who looks into the matter will deny that glory means the holy spirit if account is taken of the lord's words he says after all the glory that you have given me I have given to them. For the one who truly gave the disciples glory of this order was the one who said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He who invested himself with humanity received this glory before the cosmos existed. And when that humanity had been glorified by the Spirit, the further gift of the Spirit's glory was passed on to the entire heredity of that humanity, beginning with his disciples. That is why he said, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Therefore, the person who has left immaturity behind and by growing attained to mature manhood and achieved the measure of the intelligible stature, who from being a slave and a concubine has come to share the status of kingship and by impassibility and purity has become a recipient of the Spirit's glory, this is that perfect dove upon whom the bridegroom looks as he says, One is my dove, my perfect one. One is she, for her mother, the chosen of the one who bore her. Nor are we unacquainted with the dove's mother, recognizing as we do the tree from its fruit. For just as we are in no doubt whatever a human person upon whom we gaze derives from another human person? So too, if we were inquiring after the mother of the chosen dove, we shall not think of her as anything other than a dove, for the nature of the one who begets is always discerned in the child. Since then, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and the child is a dove, the child's mother must surely be a dove as well, the dove that flew down from heaven upon Jordan, as John bears witness. Her, the young maidens bless, her, the concubines and the queens praise, For the course that leads to such blessedness is the same for all souls, no matter what status they start from. That is why it says, The daughters saw her, and they bless her. The queens and concubines praise her, for it is the nature common to all of them to press forward in desire toward that which is blessed and worthy of praise. So if the daughters pronounce the dove blessed, they too are desiring to become doves. And if the concubines and queens praise the dove, this is a token that they too are eager for that which is worthy of praise until that time when, since all have become one in desiring the same goal, and there is no vice left in any, God may become all in all persons, in those who by their oneness are blended together with one another in the fellowship of the good In our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and power, to the ages of ages, amen. St. Gregory of Nyssa, pray for us.